Is the Trans-Pacific Partnership political poison, or is it necessary medicine for the foundering U.S. economy? Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. The whole idea of free trade has taken a beating this political season, with the agreement known as the TPP serving as the poster child for all of the supposed evils of open borders. Currently, there doesn't seem to be a candidate or lawmaker in Washington willing to stand up for it. But is this sentiment justified by the contents of the agreement? Or does it threaten to block a treaty that will bring on balance huge benefits to the economy? Weighing in on the side of supporting the TPP is my guest today, Sue Welch, CEO of Bamboo Rose. She'll make the case that the 12-nation agreement currently languishing in a hostile U.S. Congress will create jobs, lower consumer prices, and improve product quality, if it's ratified. If we don't sign up, she says, we'll suffer the consequences in the form of economic decline and a weakening of American influence in Asia. Even so, there's the question of whether the TPP can be saved. So here is my conversation with Sue Welch. Sue Welch, welcome to the program. Thanks, Bob. It's a pleasure to be here. We'll be talking about the TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Make your case, please, for why you support the TPP. Okay, I want to make my case from the perspective of the retailers that we deal with because they're obviously very, very pro the TPP. And there's several reasons. The first reason being it's a great opportunity to lower prices and improve quality from the retailer's perspective. And that goes directly to the fact that you get rid of 6,000 tariffs that range anywhere from 5% to 67%. And from a retailer's perspective, if they save those dollars, they get the opportunity to lower the prices. The second thing is it really puts us at a disadvantage competitively. As other packs start to form around the world and other countries start to dominate. You have the example of China's trying to do the ASEAN pact, and that will be all the TPP countries, plus India, plus South Korea. Then you've got BRICS, which is Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, becoming very, very strong and influential. Well, if we don't pass these types of partnerships, then we're competing for capacity against these other PACs and other countries. And so it's not just capacity, it's resources. That's just to drive prices up. So instead of getting the opportunity to lower prices, if we don't do things like the TPP, then we drive prices up for consumer. So again, from the retail perspective, you're talking about access to cheaper goods from abroad, those savings then passed on to the American consumer, right? I assume that's Correct. that's the argument. Uh, it is, of course, the case that In the absence of the TPP, for years now, we have had uh, discount retailing, big box retailing has somehow managed to keep prices down pretty low. I'm thinking Walmart and its competitors, including stuff that they've got from overseas. So 
in the absence of any such thing that has already existed, are you saying that that would go away or it would become better with the TPP or how would that change from what we've seen up to now? Well, I think if you look at what retail has done up to now, is they've done a race to the bottom. And unfortunately, they've won that race. What has become sacrificed is quality and products. And so if you look at the TPP and say, if we can get rid of some of these high taxes related to the products that we buy, then we can put the quality back into products or maybe shave a few pennies off. And so even though there have been a lot of the big box retailers that have done very attractive pricing, we've paid the price with that relative to quality. We do, at the same time, see a move toward reshoring of some manufacturing from Asia back to North America. So against the backdrop of that, does that make the TPP less relevant because so much more of our sourcing is coming back here because the price of sourcing in Asia is going up? Or is it still an important thing to have nevertheless? I think it's still an important thing to have because we don't have the infrastructure to take on the type of manufacturing that gets done in Asia. We simply don't. We can selectively source. And so some of the retailers that we work with, they will do nearshore sourcing, which is local, for a portion of what they buy. But if they're testing things and they want to buy a million units, they might near source 10,000 of those units. There isn't the capacity to do those million units. And so that's one part of the issue. And the other part of the issue is just having the resources that we can actually start demand some of these manufacturing sites with. We don't have that. You know, Sue, I know you're giving me the retail perspective, which involves imports to a great degree. But as you know, the debate over the TPP and similar free trade agreements has largely been around exports. The idea is supporters say that it will open up new markets to U.S. exporters. People don't seem to care about that it would actually improve imports because we already have such a high trade deficit with nations such as China that that, that is not a, a strong argument for a lot of people that it would improve the, the import side. So do you also believe that TPP would be a benefit to us on the export side? I definitely do. And I can give it as an example. We're a small company, about 200 people, and we've got offices in five countries around the world. Because of the beneficial trade that we have as being IP, we're able to expand and we're able to really offset, balance our labor resources and costs and maximize revenue. That has resulted in, if you look at our 200 people, 100 people in the U.S., 30 of those jobs in the U.S. are the direct result of the fact that we could expand internationally and we could balance the cost of our labor and resources. We're a perfect small business example of that. Polls actually show that Americans favor free trade deals. However, American support for those deals has been slipping in the last couple of years, and that's no coincidence that it is also at the same time that the presidential campaign has really geared up to full, full level. I wonder what you think we can tell people as support for these agreements begins to erode. What can be done to recapture that public sentiment in favor of free trade agreements? I think if we lowered the rhetoric, that could help a lot. Even though a lot is rhetoric, not all is rhetoric. So if you look on a global basis, we've become 
anti-trade, the climate. It isn't just in the U.S., but if you look at the EU, they've decided not to fast-track one of the agreements that they were going to have with Canada. France won't support the TTIP being negotiated between the EU and U.S. So this anti-trade climate seems to be growing. And part of that is we have come out of a recession that always worries people. So I think it isn't just the situation of the U.S. and because of the, the political environment. I think it's a global situation that is being fed by inflammatory rhetoric. Well, even beyond inflammatory rhetoric, I think when people try to assess the value or the attractiveness of something like the TPP, they look at past free trade agreements to understand what those did to help them decide about TPP. So, for instance, the U.S.-Korea free trade agreement is being held up as an example of what free trade deals mean or what, what they can do. When that came into being... It was supposed to result in 70,000 U.S. jobs from increased goods exports alone. Instead, over the period between 2011 and 2015, we saw apparently, according to at least one statistic, the elimination of 95,000 jobs and a 114% increase in the U.S. trade deficit with Korea. What do you tell people when they use that agreement as an argument against the TPP? Well, I don't have the specifics on that agreement, but I would look at NAFTA, which most people in the U.S. understand the whole NAFTA agreement. And there was a lot of issue with NAFTA. But if you look at NAFTA, it's now been in effect for 22 years. And I think uh, the Peterson Institute just did a study actually about two years ago and looked at that and said the effects of NAFTA were 15,000 net loss of jobs each year due to the pact. However, for each lost job, the economy gained $450,000 in higher productivity and lower consumer prices. So I think there's a lot of different agreements. There's disappointment. Nothing happens the way people say it's going to happen, and there's always surprises. But I think that there's also such benefit to these PACs, not just relative to the, the PAC itself or the, the countries that are engaging in it, but on a global environment. Since 1945, the whole infrastructure around global trade has grown and been built, and it's a very strong infrastructure. And if you look at the global prosperity that we have and the lack of wars among major nations, that's a direct result of interconnected economies. So I think that the argument still for these PACs is very, very strong. There's no argument that agreements such as this and offshoring helps people in other countries to create middle classes, to get jobs, to raise their wages. We've seen what's happened over the decades with the various countries such as Japan, Korea, Taiwan, and China. We've seen great rises in the standards of living for those people. That's a hard argument to make to an American, though. It's like, what about us back here in America? Certainly jobs are being lost here in order to benefit people abroad. So, again, how do you address that issue with an American that says, I don't care how good this is, what a good thing this has been for people overseas. All I care is about lost jobs here in America. I think some of the, and and I'm certainly empathetic to that, but some of the lost jobs here are what I would call evolutionary jobs. Other jobs took their place in other industries. If you look over the last 20 years relative to technology, there are so many more jobs in technology. The example that I gave as far as how we look at it and say 30% of our growth in the U.S. was because we were international. So we created 
30% more jobs than we would have if we had not been able to sell and compete internationally. With regard to these evolutionary jobs you talk about, I wonder if this country has not been keeping up its side of the bargain in terms of retraining workers and positioning workers who lost traditional manufacturing jobs to take on some of the new jobs that result. I'm thinking specifically of the Trade Adjustment Assistance Program, which was supposed to do that but has run up against all kinds of opposition to to the point where today only about, as I understand it, only about 100,000 Workers or Americans are being helped from that program now, which is far below the amount that's needed in order to help people adjust. I wonder if you would support some kind of renewed commitment to retraining and trade assistance to help offset the loss of traditional jobs as a result of free trade agreements. Absolutely. I think that that is so key to any one of these PACs. When we hire people, we were hiring people out of fishing and that were their families came from fishing. We're in Gloucester. Their families came from fishing. They're carpenters. Having great retraining programs, I think, is so key to a successful pact. I think another thing that disturbs me and maybe disturbs other people is it would be fine maybe if this were 100% about trade. But then other stuff gets thrown into the TPP. I'm thinking specifically of the investor state dispute settlement language that allows private companies to sue governments if those governments enact regulations or court rulings that lead to the loss of so-called expected future growth of profits. That bothers people, I think, in a way that has nothing yeah. to do with trade. Tell me a little bit about that and, and why. how do you overcome concerns over something like that that maybe shouldn't even be in this agreement? First of all, I agree it shouldn't be in the agreement. I think if the U.S. does ratify the agreement, it's highly unlikely that that would survive. We've got two political contenders. Both of them are saying that they would not ratify the TPP. If Hillary got into office, I think she'd still relook at it. She won't walk it back completely, but she'd make some significant changes. And I think that would probably be one of the first ones that she would make the change on. It just doesn't make sense. And it scares people. This was passed under fast-track authority, which means it's presented to Congress in a take-it-or-leave-it fashion. As my understanding is, there is not the right or the ability to, to parse it and to take certain things out. It's either a thumbs up or thumbs down on the whole pact. That's true. But if she comes in, she can say thumbs down and say, all right, let's renegotiate. Even though it was done under fast track and it's not going to be supposedly can't be renegotiated, the reality is it would not pass the way it is. There would be some, let's go back to the table. Is it possible that while we're going back to the table and renegotiating and getting rid of some of this toxic stuff that maybe shouldn't be there, the other 11 nations in TPP would go ahead and ratify that version of it and just proceed with it? Could you, can you conceive of that? Or would our refusal to, t to ratify it right away put the whole thing on ice for a while? It puts the whole thing on ice. Japan and the U.S. have to ratify for it to move forward. I think the problem that we had here is with so broad in scope. I mean, there are so many controversial issues. But if the U.S. starts to back out of it, we just saw that Vietnam announced on Friday that they weren't going to present it to their parliament in October. And they've put it off now until January early case, early best case uh, would be early 2017 that they would present it. So I think you're seeing countries, if we backed off from this, that they would also back off. 
There is one nation that is notably absent from the TPP, and that is China, and it's no accident that that's the case. And I wonder if perhaps we don't make the case well enough to the American public that one of the things the TPP really is, it's a political and economic play to counter the growing power of China. And if we don't get in the TPP, then that actually is an advantage to China. Do you think that maybe we don't make that argument enough? I don't think we do. And part of that is because I think we've so focused on its impact on jobs and the politicization of of the the job part and the fact that there's going to be this sucking sound, um, quote Perot from many years ago. We've more focused on that as an issue as opposed to this puts us in jeopardy in a non-competitive environment because all of a sudden China becomes much more influential in Asia than, than we will be. All right, so paint me a picture of the United States having rejected TPP, having erected Trump-style uh, tariffs and the like, uh, having having put up walls, both figurative and literal, uh, to the rest of the world. What would happen to our economy, in your opinion? I think it would take a, a pretty bad hit because uh, all of a sudden spending power goes down from the consumer. Quality of products goes down from the consumer's. Other countries become much more powerful and influential in key areas, uh, so that makes it much more for, difficult for us to work with those countries. I don't think it's a pretty picture under that scenario, and free trade, as I said before, I really believe very strongly in free trade. I believe what it does, not just for the U.S., but I believe what it does for the world makes us all much more prosperous and, and peaceful, so I think it would be a very, very bad thing under that scenario. Have you always been a free trader, Sue? I'd be interested in hearing what your background is that brings you to this uh, position and this opinion. I've always been a free trader um, from the time I was nine years old. I remember I went out and announced to my father that I wanted to have Khrushchev's baby because we were so (laughs) afraid of Khrushchev at the time because we thought, well, if he bombs us, we're all going to die. And I thought if I have his baby, then maybe he won't kill us all. So that's a form of free trade. If I'm interconnected with you, whether it's through family or it's through resources or it's through my economy, then I don't shoot at you. So I think free trade is just so important to the the entire world. And it's how less developed nations and countries develop and build strong middle classes. And it's how America becomes strong. We need to compete on a global stage. We can't protect ourselves. We can't have this protectionist environment because everybody else is opening up their borders and trading. And so if we don't, again, I look inside. The prices are effective. The quality of products are effective. And our role in the world stage is affected. Sue, I think at the age of nine, you came up with the most creative solution to the end of the Cold War (laughs) that I have ever heard. Congratulations on that. Too bad well, my it wasn't. father wasn't too happy. <laughs> I, I guess not. But think of what we suffered through for years afterwards before, because that didn't happen. We had to wait until exactly, the wall came down. Exactly. All right. Exactly. Uh, well, listen, Sue Welch of, of Bamboo Rose, I've really enjoyed speaking with you and hearing your position on the TPP, uh, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, and free trade agreements in general. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me on, Bob. I really enjoyed the conversation. That was my conversation with Sue Welch of Bamboo Rose, arguing for ratification of the controversial Trans-Pacific Partnership. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, 
watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time.